Lord, we thank you for who you are and who you are in our lives. And Lord, thank you for that truth and that reality. And may we continue to create that space for you, the rock of ages, as we open up your scriptures and we hear the life that you invite us into. In your name I pray, amen. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, pray for me as you are seated. I was hanging out, had the great privilege of hanging out with our fourth and fifth graders uh, last Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Seems just like yesterday because I'm kind of still recovering uh, based upon the number of aspirin I've been taking and the naps I've been taking. But anyway, we're good. We're, we're good. It's, we'll, we'll be uh, okay here this morning. Um, as I get going, I also want to encourage you this week, make a note, and those of you who are watching online, you might be a little bit more um, at ready to make this note, because I have two other friends of mine who are preaching today. And one of the special things about Christ Church is sometimes we're blessed to have one speaker across the board, as we say. Other weeks, such as this week, we have one speaker in each of our venues, all talking about the same passage, which I absolutely love, because when you go back and then listen to that passage, you get little nuances that the one speaker perhaps just took a different direction. And myself, I know I'm gonna drill down a little bit more in, in the opening of this passage and stay there. And my friends, Dr. Bill Scheel in Classic and Pastor Charlie Browning at Butterfield are gonna kind of take the, whole, the passage as a, as a whole for us. So I encourage you this week to go look up their messages and see what God continues to do with the scriptures in your life. Well, when I was a youth pastor back in the day, seems like so long ago, we were at a youth convention in Oregon. And one of our free days, we were fishing off the coast of Oregon, uh, doing some deep sea fishing. Now, this was the first time I actually was on a relatively small boat on the open ocean. Uh, one of my staff leaders, as soon as they stepped onto the boat, they turned green. I did a little bit better in the fact that I, was, I felt pretty good as we went out to sea and cast the lines out. But sure enough, the captain began to notice a sight he seen ever too often from us land lovers. And that is when our faces turned this pale shade of green. And he looks at me and he tells me in a stereotypical captain, half mocking, half helpful fashion, Eric, what you need to do is focus on the horizon. Don't focus on the boat. Don't look at the boat with the waves churning and chopping in the background. Focus on the horizon. Don't focus what's right in front of you, but focus out on the horizon and that will give you stability. So I did. And you know what? That helped. That helped for a while. It helped while I was doing that. But as soon as I was distracted from the horizon, as soon as I looked at the things right in front of me of the waves hitting the boat, of the waves bouncing and, and myself trying to find my stability on this medium rough sea, I got sick. And my stomach began to go. And sure enough, let's just say very soon after, I was chumming the ocean along with many of other of my students and leaders. I'll just put it that way. Do you know what I mean? Now, I don't know about you, but over the last, let's say, two years, 
watching the current news feeds, experiencing all that we have, I felt many times like it did on that boat in Oregon, stomach churning and times gut-wrenchingly so. I mean, think about it. Haven't you felt the same way some days as you take in and are forced to consider and make sense of the latest mass shooting or political division, economic crisis, or natural disaster? All the while, if we're honest, feeling so helpless, alone, small, and forgotten. And there are moments like this that we are desperately in need of a horizon to give us stability and a focus that is in the midst of everything and yet removed from everything and to help us find our stability. The reality is, this feeling of sickness, uneasiness, nor the, the, this need of a horizon to focus ourselves on, this isn't something new just to us in 2022. In fact, we'll see in our key passage today that the disciples of Jesus are looking for a horizon to stabilize their lives, a way to focus their minds and the hearts in the midst of troubling times. And in that search, they come to Jesus and they ask him how to pray. And in response, Jesus gives them a horizon to find purpose and focus and stability in turbulent times. Jesus gives them a prayer, a prayer many of you are probably familiar with, even if you don't consider yourself a churchgoer. We just sang it, aspects of it. And many of you know this prayer that Jesus gave as the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, or those with a much more traditional Catholic background or heritage, the Paternoster, coming from the first two words in Latin, Our Father. Jesus was giving them and us this prayer as a way to reset and to give us a horizon, a point of reference in turbulent times. And even more than a point of reference, a way to orient our lives so that when we are feeling overwhelmed by the crashing waves, when we are feeling seasick by our news feeds, we have a way to come back center, to invite once again God's kingdom, God's reality, God's truth in the midst of these turbulent times. And what we'll realize today is that the Lord's prayer gives us a horizon to focus our lives. And please open, if you have your paper Bible with me, open to Luke 11. If you have your favorite Bible app, uh, open there as well to Luke 11 and follow with me as I read verses one through five. Now, as you look those passages up, that passage up, it is, as is often my practice with you, when I'm opening the scriptures, I invite you and I hope that you will glean as we read along today, what I call formational points and practices from the passage. And formational points and practices are those ideas and hands-on ways of living that draw us closer to the heart of Jesus by helping us open our mind and our hearts and our very bodies to God's transforming work in our lives. And let me tell you, today's passage is full of them. So follow along as I read Luke 11, one through five. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, 
Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples, Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus taught them more about prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, as I shared, this is a prayer many of you have probably prayed. If not prayed yourself, you most likely have heard it somewhere in the recent past. And regardless, uh, for many, we might be a bit hard-pressed to explain what all the different elements of this prayer actually mean for the here and now. I mean, it sounds nice when we pray it, but what does it actually mean in the here and now, and why is it helpful? Why would Jesus give this to disciples when they're asking for that horizon, for that help in troubling times? Now, just as the selection of the Lord's Prayer drawn what you're about to see from various children's prayers, there might be a little bit misunderstanding as we come to the Lord's Prayer. Hear how the kids have prayed this. Our Father, who does art in heaven, Howard be thy name. Give us this day our jelly bread. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the eagles. I love that last one, deliver us from the eagles. That's a thought. So perhaps we're not as far off as these children are, but some of us, again, might be hard pressed. What exactly does this mean? Little background here. This prayer is found in two different places in the gospels, uh, here in Luke and also in Matthew six. And for our purposes, what I'm gonna be doing, I'm gonna be blending a little bit. And as you see the different elements of the Lord's Prayer on the screen, the parts in brackets is what I've borrowed from Matthew 6. Because my hope and desire is that we would sit here with the Lord's Prayer and really unpack it for us. So we can understand how and why Jesus would give this to us in turbulent times to set our horizon. In Jesus' day, also remember, Rome is, is the occupying enemy over Israel. By the time Luke wrote this gospel, Rome had conquered Jerusalem. And the Jews, some of whom were followers of Jesus, were completely exiled and they were under duress. They thought their world was about to end and they longed for a different sort of life. And the Lord's Prayer is designed to teach the disciples then and now what to do when it feels like our world is falling apart. Anyone feel like that lately? the last couple years? When we're feeling emotionally, spiritually, and socially like I did that one morning off the coast of Oregon, literally seasick to my stomach. Or perhaps again, like some of us do now, based upon the waves that are hitting our lives or from our news feeds. So in response to their requests and towards giving them a horizon to set their lives, Jesus begins by saying, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven. Now notice that this prayer is given with community in mind. The community of faith. Our Father. 
Now, in the last two years, the season of COVID, if it's taught us anything, it's taught us the need and the importance of community with one another. Weekly, I still have people come up to me and they say, Eric, it is so good to be together once again, face to face, in person, with others. It's so good. And in fact, during the last three sessions of Rooted, our 10-week small group experience that we hold a couple times a year, the number one comment, the number one impact that we say Rooted uh, offers, there's many, believe me, but the number one thing that people glean from it at the end of the 10 weeks is this community that I've been part in, I had misgivings. I didn't know a lot of the people, but 10 weeks later, it is amazing the impact they have had on my life and how God has used them to have me love him more, to find hope, to find healing. And this is also an important formational point for us. And that is we never have to go at life alone. Jesus is teaching that we are part of something larger and greater. It's not me by myself floating out there with this load to carry, trying to keep my head afloat. Yet this is where so many people end up when they are feeling overwhelmed by what life is churning up and the rogue waves that seem to come out of nowhere, alone and isolated. And perhaps the counter, what he knew well about us and how we pull away from others and from God in those moments when things get rough, Jesus encourages us to pray, Father in heaven. Now, initially we read this, and most likely we hear it as this impersonable, impersonal God who lives far away, which is perhaps why it takes God so long to answer my prayers. Just saying, some of us might be feeling. But in reality, Father here is special and would have taught the disciples a formational lesson themselves as compared to the prayers they're used to praying and reciting. Now, growing up as practicing Jews, they would have learned many prayers that in essence magnified the greatness and awesomeness of God, but at the same time left God as impersonal and distant, with God as other. Here, Jesus is saying, Abba, a close, affectionate, personal name for God, a God that is both mighty and yet gentle, a God that is both holy and just, at the same time loving and affectionate because he's Abba. Now a great formational question for us to ask is when you think of God, how close do you feel? I mean, really think about that. How intimate, how close, why? In the last part of this opening stanza here, we need to force ourselves to think differently. And I'm indebted to theologian Dallas Willard for bringing this understanding and other aspects of this prayer to the forefront. And when Jesus tells us to pray, our Father in heaven, we immediately think again, God far away. He's in heaven. He is far away. But in reality... Jesus is actually drawing upon the Jewish understanding of the heavens. And it's an understanding that many of our English translations miss because they miss that S on the word heaven. It should be rendered heavens. 
And the Jewish understanding of the heavens, one aspect of it is the heavens are the air that surrounds us. Right around us, not distant, but the air and the space right around us is also the heavens. So when we pray this, our Father who art in the heavens, we are praying our good God, Abba, who is close and intimate with us, who is as close as the air I breathe to me. So when the waves of life come and we feel alone and isolated and God feels distant, the Lord's Prayer reminds us we are part of this larger community with a caring, intimate God that is not far off, but is very close and in the midst of what is happening. Thereby, the Lord's Prayer gives us a horizon to focus our lives. Jesus continues, hallowed be your name. Now by hallowing something, you treat it with respect and honor. You think of it as the best there is and you want everyone else to do the same. Now, outside of Jesus, the closest experience I have to hallowing something is in relation to my wife. I really do hallow Linda. I believe and think of her as the best there is. I talk her up in front of other people and brag about her. And personally, I've made a commitment never to say a negative thing about Linda to others. And in fact, I want to do just the opposite. I want everyone to know how amazing she is. And folks, if I haven't said it, she is really amazing. And after 30 years of marriage, come next month, August 21st, thank you very much, I do know that. After 30 years, I, I'm kind of an expert on her awesomeness and amazingness. But this just doesn't happen, right? It's not by accident. There's an intentionality that takes place that started 30 years ago next month. I made a public vow of commitment to her as my wife. And because of that commitment, I have arranged my life faithfully around her, towards her. I listen to her voice most days. And I want and long for her affection. I want to spend time with her. I want to spend time with her. I don't have to do a thing. I, I can just do nothing and just be with her. And when nothing doesn't quite suffice, a board game will do. Now, translate this to our relationship with Jesus. Have you come to a point in the journey that you hallow Jesus? How many of us have made a public commitment to Jesus? How many of us would feel less tossed and turned in life if we truly believed Jesus is the best there is? And he really does know what he's talking about. Meaning very practically, we will find out what captures the heart of Jesus and arrange our lives around that. And we will find out what grieves and breaks the heart of Jesus and we will do everything in our power to avoid that. And that's hard at times and that's why it takes community as the Lord Jesus already led us into. And when the world offers us cheap gods that can never give us hope, meaning, or fulfillment, the Lord's Prayer invites us to hallow the God we have been created for. And as a result, arrange our lives in a way that continues to build this intimacy 
and keeps our attention upon fulfilling the desires of God's heart. Because praying the Lord's Prayer gives us a horizon to focus our lives. And because we are seeking what is close to the heart of God, we ask, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God more than any other topic. So right there, that should pique our interest. And if you're looking for a study for personal Bible study or for a small group this summer or this fall, look up and study the kingdom of God, how Jesus taught about it, what he taught about it, when he taught about it. It would be transformational for you. Some of you are more familiar with the gospels, the first four books of the New Testament that focus on life. Jesus might recall how often Jesus tells us the kingdom of God is like or the kingdom of God has come, or an invitation for us to enter into the kingdom of God here and now. And in praying God's kingdom to come, Jesus is inviting us to live in the reality of, Lord, I want what you want. I want things in my life, in my community, in my world to actually happen as you would prefer them to happen. Then bringing this closer home, Lord, I want to see and do things from your perspective, not my perspective. And I want to do these things in the everyday moments of my life, first and foremost. Theologian, again, Dallas Willard reminds us that we are not praying for God's kingdom to come into existence, for his kingdom is from everlasting to everlasting. But we are praying that especially in our lives, we would live from his kingdom's perspective. Now, how many of us have a hard time finding that horizon because we are looking in the wrong direction? We are looking in the direction of our own little kingdoms. We are trying to build them, model off the kingdom of this world where might makes right, where the self and what I want takes precedence over all where my security and safety is found in my own strength and provision. I'm reminded of C.S. Lewis's The Rite of the Chronicles of Nardia, his adage, one of my favorites. When you aim at heaven, Lewis says, think of kingdom of God. When you aim at heaven, you get earth thrown in. If you aim at earth, you get neither. And as I was reflecting on this this past week, I was forced to ask myself, how often do I pray towards God's kingdom to be present and that I will grow to align my life to his kingdom versus how often do I pray that God will align his life to the kingdom that I'm building? It's a hard, deep time of reflection this week. I'm still working at it. When we are overwhelmed, tired, and terrified by the kingdoms of this world and their constant turmoil, we remind ourselves and plead for the reality of God's kingdom to be present in, with, and through us. Because the Lord's Prayer gives us a horizon to set our lives. Give us this day our daily bread, Jesus continues. 
And in saying this, Jesus is telling us to seek from God what we need for today, today. Now we lose the horizon pretty quickly and we begin to tumble about in life when we focus not on what God is providing as the source of life, but our bank account, my own stick-to-itiveness, my work ethic, ourselves. And those things have a place, but how seasick we will become in life based on the rise and fall of the stock market or latest gas prices, if that is our sole focus of security and stability. And what really hinders or shuts down living in the reality of God's kingdom is not the having of such resources, but rather the trusting in them for future security. I believe two weeks ago, in fact, Pastor Dan, as he was preaching to us, he reminded us that King David said in Psalm 20, it goes something like this, some trust in bank accounts and the retirement funds, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. All right, it doesn't say bank accounts, retirement funds, but no one really has a chariot nowadays. So it's the equivalent, right? Where do we find our security? Well, Jesus taught on this throughout the gospels. And this is what Jesus tells us in the very next chapter. We're in Luke 11 here, remember. The very next chapter, Luke 12, where Jesus talks about what's called the parable of the rich fool. Remember that story? Some of you might remember that story. This guy is a very successful business person. He has so much that he builds a barn to store it all. And it's not big enough, so he builds a bigger barn. And then God calls him a fool because he goes, you are very wealthy in this world, but you are not wealthy in the life to come. You're not wealthy in my life with you in this world. And tonight your life is gonna be demanded of you. And Jesus finishes that out by saying in Luke 12, then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food and your body more than clothing. And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and he will give you everything you need. Now many hear me saying this and kind of tune out of the impossibility of it. But here's the thing. If we are praying not just reciting, but living into the flow of all that Jesus has invited and exposed to us thus far at this point, this can and does become our reality as God's ever spirit continues that transformative process in our lives. For when we are finding it's hard to stay afloat, trusting in a material life, Jesus tells us to simply ask for our daily needs and ultimately find security in him now and into the future. As we trust in God's promises and presence down to the everyday moments of our lives because the Lord's prayer gives us a horizon to focus our lives. From here, Jesus invites and continues 
Forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Now, this easily could be a whole sermon in and of itself. So allow me to offer you a few thoughts and two quotes from one of my favorite authors. Now, I know many of you like the softer phrasing, forgive us our debts, but personally, I do like forgive us our sins. And the reality is a sin is a debt to God. And the pain, and think about it, the pain, the weight, and the lack of freedom that comes when unforgiveness runs rampant in our lives is soul-crushing, let alone what it does to families and relationships. Reflect on what we have prayed so far to this point. Our Father, recognizing we are part of this new community that is called to take on the quality of God, God's character in every aspect of our life. And what is God if God isn't loving and forgiving? Jesus is on the cross, folks. Jesus is on the cross and he's asking God the Father to forgive them if they don't know what they're doing. He's asking God the Father to forgive the people who are in the midst of crucifying and cheering at his crucifixion. What Jesus tells us here is very sobering. I mean, think about it. We are asking God to forgive us only to the extent that we forgive those who have sinned against us. And Jesus talks about forgiveness quite a bit throughout the gospels in some pretty startling ways. And one that always piques my interest is in Matthew 5. Always strikes me. Because in Matthew 5, Jesus in essence says, hey, when you go to worship, if you go to worship on a Sunday morning and you're sitting there in the midst of worship and you remember you are at odds with somebody, don't continue your worship, folks. Stop what you're doing. Leave and make restitution with that person to the best of your ability. That's kind of a sobering thought, even for how many of us here this morning. And with that stirring in our hearts and heads, hear these formational points from Philip Yancey. The first is from the scandal of forgiveness, and the second will be what's so, from What's So Amazing About Grace. And each of these two reads, these two books, mark them down, have helped me immensely in my own process of forgiveness over the years. Yancey writes, Forgiveness is an act of faith. By forgiving another, I am trusting that God is a better justice maker than I am. By forgiving, I realize my own right to get even and leave all issues of fairness to God to work out. I leave in God's hands the scales that must balance justice and mercy. The wrong does not disappear when I forgive. It loses its grip on me and is taken over by God, who knows what to do. Not to forgive imprisons me in the past and locks out all potential for change. That's a scary thought. I thus yield control to another, my enemy, and doom myself to suffer the consequences of the wrong. When the waves of past betrayals and pain hold us captive, from moving forward, and we're lost in a sea of anger and sorrow. 
Jesus invites us to pray the Lord's Prayer, to remember and live in the flow of God's loving community. As we let go of the pain and trust in God's care and justice. Jesus closes with, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now our first read, we might be led to believe that we're asking God not to tempt us with evil. But how does that fit with what we've already prayed and what Jesus has already revealed to us? That of a, we're in this context of a caring, intimate father in a loving community. I mean, what loving father would tempt their children to sin? And then we look at the rest of the scriptures and we find from James 1, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does God tempt anyone. So in saying, lead us not in temptation, what is Jesus really getting at? I, I really do appreciate the way the NLT and the message kind of render this. The message says, keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. And the NLT writes, I don't let, and don't let us yield to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In essence, we are asking God to keep us safe from the bad things that might happen to us because we have no confidence in and of ourselves. No confidence to resist those temptations. Now remember, Jesus states this after we have been just faced, how often we ask for God's forgiveness and yet don't extend that to others. So we're well aware of our weaknesses in this and the life that he so leads us into. And so he presents to us the perfect transition to ask God not to even be faced with these bad things. Don't even allow these things to happen. We don't want to be put to test, but we want you to deliver us from that. And in doing so, we are living the encouragement from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10. This is great. If you think you are standing strong, be careful, for you too may fall in the same sin. But remember that the temptations that come into your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will keep the temptation from being so strong that you can't stand up against it. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you will not give in to it. Because when the world tells us we are in control and can handle it, we know how in and of ourselves that never ends well and we end up capsizing different aspects of our lives. So we listen to Jesus and pray the Lord's Prayer, finding God's way in the midst of life's temptations as we trust in God's promises and presence and follow them with all our strength because the Lord's Prayer gives us a horizon to focus our lives. Whew. Okay, take a breath. See what happens when you slow down? There is such a richness here that Jesus is inviting us into. So my challenge to you as I wrap up here, I want you to do two things this week. The first thing is, what I want you to do is pray for the next seven days. Pray the Lord's Prayer as soon as you're aware that you're aware that you're aware in the morning. 
You know that moment when you're laying there in bed and going, I hear the birds, is it time? I don't wanna look at the clock. I notice daylight. You're aware that you're aware. At that moment, set your horizon. Pray the Lord's Prayer, right? And and I I do this not every morning, but 80% of mornings I do this myself. Before my feet hit the ground, I recite the Lord's Prayer to set my horizon for me, to set where my heart and my mind and my life want to focus for the day. I love how Lewis invites us, C.S. Lewis invites us to consider why this is important. The real problem of the Christian life comes where people do not usually look for it. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back and listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in all day. We've tried to make it easy for you and that we're providing you with some downloads for all your devices, whether it's a desktop on your computer, whether it's an an iPhone or an Android. Uh, We have bookmarks. Keep this in front of you, right? If you wake up with your phone as your alarm clock like I do, put this as the backdrop of your phone and see what God does. Secondly, as you do that this next week, where is the Spirit poking you? Where is the Holy Spirit saying, Haskins, you need to focus more on forgiveness? Or Haskins, you really need to understand what does it mean to hallow me? Because let me tell you, you're doing anything but that. You like me maybe, but you don't hallow me. So what area, what stanza, what phrasing of the Lord's Prayer, every time you pray it over the next week especially, you just go, oh, you feel it. And that's the Holy Spirit saying, Haskins, dive in more there. Spend some time with me. Ask a Christian friend. Email me. I would love to come alongside you and provide you with different resources on forgiveness, on hallowing, on building a relationship with Jesus in the everyday moments of your life. How does that work? See what God does. Imagine, folks, if every, each and every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, remember this rich imagery and the invitations Jesus is offering to us. That we are not alone, but we are part of a larger community of faith. A close, intimate community where we can approach God as Abba. And because of our growing intimacy with God, we desire everyone to see God as the best there is. Growing, in fact, to hallow his name. And since we know God generally loves and cares for us as Abba, we can trust him to do what's best. So we ask, Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done. Lord, I want what you want. I want things in my life, in my community, in my world to happen just as you would prefer them to happen. Imagine if we grow in our trust realizing that God will provide what we need for today, today, and resolve not to take things in our own hands and thereby push God aside. Imagine how much lighter and freer and more joy-filled we would be and we would live if we treated others as we have been treated by God with that same 
forgiveness. Imagine the pains and shames avoided by not giving in to that consistent temptation, but actively looking for God's way out. Imagine how the Lord's Prayer gives us a horizon to focus our lives. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you give us. We thank you for this invitation to come to you at the center of our life, to seek you as the stabilizing horizon, no matter what is crashing upon and over the edges of our life. Lord, I ask that we would enter into this reality, that we would live in this reality that you invite us into so that we could have hope and joy and peace that you promise so that we can have you truly as our stabilizing horizon. In your name we pray, amen.